I would say more than anything, if you're just focusing on moving the ball forward, you know, don't get too caught up and we can all do that of looking at other people in comparison of this person's been doing this less time than me, but they're way ahead. You don't know their full story. Oftentimes there's more to the backstory than we always, than we often know, um, whether they had previous skill sets, other investments, whatever, just keep putting one step in front of the other and just focus on improving yourself. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. the many subjects we covered today, at the heart of the episode is a question. Are you proud of the work you're doing? I am. Quite a bit even. Can you safely say that you are? What would your kids think? Another intriguing theme that's cropped up as of late is that elusive bridge between household names and e-commerce. So among a wide array of business and geographical discussion points with my guest Kevin Sanderson, we also get to hear from the household name side and what it's like to work in that field. It does go both ways after all. Kevin Sanderson, uh, good morning, evening, afternoon. I'm not sure which one it is, but it is good to have you here. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? Yes, good morning to you, Joseph. Uh, it's uh, morning my time. I think we might actually be in the same time zone. I'm uh, Eastern U.S. in Florida, so I think it's morning. But uh, yeah, so good to be here. 10, 19 a.m.? Uh, yes, yes. To synchronize watches, uh, 10, 19 a.m. Awesome. Yeah, uh, Eastern time is the best time. Eastern time is the English language of the time zones. It is... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> We got New York, we got Toronto. We, I, I didn't even know we had Florida, but you should be jealous. This is the best time zone on the planet. There we go. I said it. Well, no, me. you're not far off. Like, because I grew up in Texas, which is for the most part in Central Time Zone, and so it would be like every time you know network TV they would talk about you know such and such will be on at nine o'clock. I always had to be like, okay, no, it's on at eight o'clock because everything they said was always off by an hour. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've had a couple of times too where something is being released at like PST. I'm like, oh, I'm ready for it. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, because then you'd have missed it. Yeah. Or conversely, I end up showing like three hours early. It all it all depends on right. uh, uh, how badly I need to see the Nintendo Direct that day. So uh, first question, opening question, it's ecomonics tradition and also tradition across like, I don't know, thousands of other podcasts. It is for you to tell us who you are and what you're up to, what you do. Sure. So my name is Kevin Sanderson, and uh, I am a full-time e-commerce seller, and I also enjoy helping others in e-commerce. More on the uh, e-commerce side of things, um, I would say uh, really my kind of niche in that world is helping successful six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon sellers expand into international marketplaces. And I know that there's always that kind of uh, overlap between folks that are either on Amazon or Shopify. You know, some people are uh, you know, very much uh, one camp or the other, but there's a lot of overlap because it's kind of hard not to, you know, you sell on Amazon, you want to have your own store. If you don't sell on your own, or if you don't sell on Amazon, but you have your own store, kind of potentially missing some uh, sales. So there's a definitely overlap in how uh, the, the not really different camps, but like the different schools of thoughts and economic or in e-commerce, I should say. Yeah, um, I, I looked through your YouTube content and there was definitely a lot of um, unfamiliar faces, but you did talk to uh, Steve Pope, uh, uh, AKA the My Amazon guy. Oh, and yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had him on the show uh, quite a while ago and I remember uh, asking him, so in, in, in my naivete, I said, so why Amazon? He says, well, it's like half the economy. 
It's, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Um, but another thing that I found interesting too is uh, one of the things, one of the cases you had made is that there are different there are different demographics that people are loyal in in different ways. Like you have people who are like very loyal to Amazon. So I, I think in that regard, there are unique customer bases uh, to appeal to an Amazon that you just can't really appeal to on uh, on Facebook. And and I'd like to uh, uh, dig into why that is. A couple of reasons that I would think of is Amazon is trustworthy, for one. People know that if they order something, chances are it'll arrive. Worst case scenario, it arrives a day late. Yeah, and that's a very good point. And one of the kind of rubs a lot of Amazon sellers have is feeling that they're kind of left out in the company's decisions. And there's kind of a different ways you could look at that. That same coin is that Amazon... Um, has been so customer centric, as Jeff Bezos has uh, famously talked about being customer centric, that I think it has brought so many people to the platform to purchase. So it's kind of one of those things if there's not people on the platform purchasing, it's not worth selling on. So they've done a good job there. Um, and I think some of it is like to your point, the trust they've built over time, you know, people have prime memberships. And so, you know, they've made it so convenient. And I want to say that even, um, I don't know if it was uh, trademarked or uh, patented the one click uh, purchase. And so like you literally could just click a button and, you know, as long as you have all your settings in there, stuff will just magically show up at your house, you know, a day or two later, depending on where you live and how far you are from a fulfillment center. Yeah. Well, here, here in Toronto, I think we have, I, I could be exaggerating, but I think we have six uh, uh, within all within reasonable distance, it has gone to the point where we ordered something and uh, and I and I'm pretty sure it showed up the same day. Yeah. But conversely, then you will, I think another fair question to ask is why people don't shop on Amazon. And again, some of the reasons that I've found is that some of what you you hear about what goes on behind the scenes in Amazon doesn't stay hidden very well. And just recently, we heard some stories about how people have to like manage their bathroom breaks in some ways that are a little bit too ugly for me to really want to get into. But that aside, what have you seen has also been some reasons to compel people to shop outside of Amazon? Yeah, great question. And I think some of it is, you know, people want to people want to feel like they're working with, you know, a small business owner. So, you know, especially as we're recording this now, we're still in the middle of the COVID pandemic, you know, a year later. And people it's been want a long 14 days, <laughs> right? It, yeah. totally has yeah. been. it totally has been. So, um, but either way, you know, whether it's because, you know, the world was already going more and more online, or it's just one of those things where, um, that people are just buying stuff online more because they kind of, they don't have an option or they just maybe aren't comfortable getting out of their house as much or whatever, whatever reason people are moving more to online. And so, you know, one of your biggest, most glaringly obvious options is Amazon because you hear everybody talk about it. But at the same time, too, there's I think there's also a feeling of you'd almost rather work with the merchant themselves. And so, you know, I, I will say this, if you know, you're on line and you see there's, you know, the price is equal or even less on the store itself, purchasing directly from the merchant. Uh, you're probably saving them at least 15%, you know, because that's usually the commission Amazon charges. So there's that, you know, that you're kind of benefiting them. But even outside of that, just, you know, sometimes, you know, some there, there's, you know, a lot of people that if they were shopping in person, whether fill in the name of a big box store that's, you know, multinational store or, you know, the little boutique mom and pop shop, there's the people that want to do the mom and pop shop. And oftentimes the Shopify stores 
tend to be kind of the mom and pop shops of the internet. That's a that's a great way of looking at it. And 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 to Shopify's credit, they have put out a lot of uh, advertising, a lot of promotional material to try to encourage this because they're they they're they're more than willing to show that a lot of a lot of businesses have shuttered. And um, interestingly, I did t- talk to um, a fellow named Aaron Pearson, who he works with local businesses. And I was curious about, you know, his experience in dealing with people who had uh, to face that choice of do they go online or not. And what you did see um, were a lot of businesses that said, you know what, our time is up, we can't really translate this into an online business, we're not going to go the Shopify route, it's whole new costs, and we have no guarantee that this is going to work. So we're just done. So that that is one thing I think it's important to keep in mind is that for some people, it, the paradigm has shifted in such a way that business is no longer uh, uh, worth conducting. Yeah. And that's, that's such a good point. And that's been happening for a long time. And it's one of those things like, you know, business has been evolving over time. So if you, if you were a manufacturer that wanted to focus on phones with the little, uh, I'm trying to think of the, you know, not not touch tone, but like way back in the day where the phones had the circle, like rotor phone. Yeah, rotor phone. Yeah, like if you yeah, yeah. if you're a rotor yeah, my phone has manufacturer, one of those, so yeah, very satisfying okay. to use those. By the way, <laughs> it really is. I miss those, yeah. and so yeah. you know, uh, you know those rotor phones. If if you were a rotor phone manufacturer in the late '80s, you would have been pretty much out of business as everyone's moving to touch tone. And if you focus on, I'm only going to focus on, you know landline touchstone phones the world would have left you and so mm-hmm. i i know very few people that even have landlines anymore and so you know the world's constantly evolving and so i was right before the pandemic talking to a guy cause sometimes i go to local networking groups of you know business owners and i was talking to a guy who uh um had a, like a surf shop and so everything in uh his store was kind of like surf or uh scuba related, you know, cause I live, mm-hmm. you know, in Florida, sort of on the coast. And so his sales, like the way he was talking about it, just progressively going down every year. And so mm-hmm. I was trying to give him some pointers and like, he was interested, but I think there was still that fear of kind of like what you're saying of like, what if it doesn't work out? And I think for him, he was a little older. Uh, I mean, I'm not necessarily young. I like to think of myself as young at heart, but, uh, he was older than me. Like he probably could have been my dad. And so it was one of those things. I think he was just getting to that point of like, it's just time to retire. And so rather than figuring out the online world, which he's kind of, I think for some folks that, you know, if they had an established retail store, it's like they're starting over from scratch. And so I think for him, it was just that like, didn't, he was, he didn't want to feel like he was starting over from scratch. And so it was just better to just stop. Yeah. You know, you know, just well, one, one brief aside, because um, uh, in our, in our, our, our age, um, a lot of it is in our, is our head. So I, I, much of it is physical, but also a lot of it is mental too. You have like sure. young souls, old souls. I see myself as like a middle-aged soul. Like the cynicism is, is starting to work in, but I right. still have some of that, some of that optimism. I was going to make a point about that, but I dropped it. So anyways, so I, I want to get back to your, uh, your, your slogan and, and your, it, it stuck out to me because I, I can't, to my recollection, uh, think of uh, anybody who had used similar terminology. And the terminology in specific is, you know, building a business that you're proud of. So mm-hmm. I'd like to dissect that because I think what people are proud of, it, I think there's some things in common, like it's it succeeds. So that's something to be proud of. But um, what in your mind do you see as a business uh, worthy of pride? You know, I think some of it is just something that you 
lay your pillow or lay your pillow, lay your head on your pillow at night and just realize, you know, you're giving it your best and it's something you're proud of. Now in the Amazon world, people oftentimes don't talk about the specific products that they sell. And um, I'm kind of in that camp myself where I don't really talk about the products, but I'm more than happy to talk about tactics and, you know, behind the scenes stuff like that. Whereas I think regardless of how, you know, transparent you want to be about whether it's, you know, the exact numbers or the exact products or whatever the case is, but, you know, something that you're at least proud of talking about and you, you don't want to step away from. I mean, I've, I've known people who have done very well in business and it's almost like they don't even want people to know that they have or had a business. And so, you know, I think some of it is that. And also in the Amazon world, there's kind of a couple different schools of thought of, well, everything on Amazon is a little gray because their terms of service, I think, is vague on purpose. And I get it because what they're trying to do is not pigeon them holes, pigeonhole themselves into, uh, okay, this is what we will allow and don't allow because the world is constantly evolving around them. So, you know, they recognize that. And so I think they leave some room for error, so to speak. And so that could be a little scary for folks. But um, really what it comes down to is, you know, those two schools of thought sometimes could be, you know, go more white hat or more black hat, meaning, you know, do things kind of more within the rules of law and other people, what can I get away with, you know, type of thing. And so I tend to think that, you know, on th those schools of thought, you know, if you're constantly worried about Amazon figuring out your IP address, that's probably a problem, you know, because, if if you can't go to like let's say an Amazon um, conference, like because Amazon's done it before, they've had a conference. If if you would be embarrassed to go to the there and realize they might figure out who you are, you know, that might mean this is not a business you're proud of. Yeah, and then all the 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 gates all seal up, and then SWAT teams start breaking through the the glass. Right, the seller performance yeah. SWAT team starts jumping in through the glass. Yeah, well, I, not that I'm a psychology expert, but I think it does speak to a lot of the, the human uh, psychology because a lot of what we do is an extension of, of, of who we are. Um, yes. One example that I would say is like if I, had a, if I had a shelf of my favorite action figures, which I don't have right now because they're still in the box, but or a shelf of books or a shelf of games, all of that is self-expression. And I think what our business is also uh, a self-expression too. So when you yeah. have people who lean more towards black hat, um, that is also an extension of who they are. So it, 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 it stands to reason that you allow for, I guess what I see Amazon is doing is that they allow for both sides to push the boundaries of, you know, the, let the white hats push it on their side, let the black hats push it on their side and then impose restrictions when it's logical to do so. Like, okay, well, you know, we're not trafficking humans here, so we can't do that. That one's definitely off the table. So it, it, you, I guess I can see, in, especially in long term, they're using them almost as a way to test what exactly even Amazon as a whole can get away with. Yeah, that's such a good point. And, and back to the what you mentioned about, you know, an extension, you know, it, it is one of those, and I think this probably answers a little bit more about the be proud of, is that I... I do consulting and I have some services where I help folks, you know, with uh, going international on Amazon. And, you know, it's always fun to hear people talk about their businesses. And, you know, mm -hmm. the, it, it, you, you, you do get this sense of like, this is their baby. And, you know, like, you know, how much, whether it's, you know, their 
they have their own brands and, you know, like you know, what they did to put it together, or even if they're, you know, selling wholesale. So they're purchasing products from other brands and then selling on their behalf, you know, just like what, whatever they did to put into where they are now, they're always very proud of it. And so I think that's, you know, it is to your point, an extension of who they are. And, you know, more than anything, as we're, you know, creating these businesses is, you know, we want to be proud of it and we don't want that seller performance, you know, people, it's not the same interface that it was, but in the Amazon world, people used to talk about the red flag. You'd log into your seller central account and there'd be this red flag from seller notifications and, you know, people would be panicked and it could be that, you know, you changed your credit card and they just, you know, are letting you know, <laughs> it could be that, uh, they just had an announcement they wanted to make through that channel, which is not the normal announcement channel, or it could just be that uh, uh, your account's been suspended. <laughs> so people always have fear of the red flag. And so anything you can do to avoid the red flag, I think is a, a good thing. Um, okay. So I, one thing that I had that I would have been curious to ask, but like you were saying, you know, it, it, it's in e-commerce, typical e-commerce fashion. Uh, we don't usually delve into the products in specific, which is fine. Um, but I was wondering if uh, you had any case studies that stuck out of some of the people you helped and where they are now. And again, if you go more like the tactical strategic route, that's uh, a okay. If not, we can always go to the next question, but I wanted to put it out there just in case. Yeah. Great question. I think a lot of it is Thanks. in general in business, and this isn't just e-commerce it's, it's everything. And I think in e-commerce, there's so many different things you could do both on Amazon and off Amazon. And it's like, okay, what is it that you're trying to do, but at the same time, avoid shiny objects. And so what is going to get you the best results, the best return on your investment of time? And, you know, in a lot of cases, money, but even if anything, if it's just time, um, I think we all can get guilty. And I know uh, guilty as charged here of, you know, listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos of things that I might one day implement into my business. And then four years later, I'm still like curious about that topic, but I've done nothing with it. And so it's that kind of you know, wrestling between the two is, you know, what is that next step for my business? And, you know, I think more than anything, we just got to figure out what is the right move next. I think I answered your question, but if I didn't feel free to ask follow Well, again, it, it's, I think it more speaks to um, the methodology that you apply to each person that you're talking to. Is it, okay, you've made these moves, and now we have to understand what is the next move. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and so, granted, I, I always like to give the disclaimer of we are all tainted by our own biases, and oftentimes our biases are uh, very much in line with, uh, you know, what puts food on our table. And so like for me, I have a service where I help people expand internationally on Amazon. So, you know, I tend to be very, hey, go sell internationally on Amazon. And so I tend to find for Amazon sellers, they're literally just leaving money on the table if they're not offering their products in other countries. And what prevents people a lot of times is there are some hoops you have to jump through on the front end uh, with like forms you have to fill out and things like that, you know, to register with like, the Canadian Revenue Agency, for example, which, you know, for a lot of U.S.-based sellers, is like, oh my gosh, it's a, it's another, it's another government. I, 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 I can't. It's, it's scary. I mean, it can be a little scary sometimes when you're dealing with other countries and you know outside of your own border and like there's their government official-looking form. But oftentimes, the people that do the work that others won't do will get the results others won't have. And that doesn't mean that everything's right. going to work out exactly the way they want it to. But if they kind of use that lens of like, okay, what is going to get me the best return on my time and investment? And for where I'm at now, 
and focus on those few moves, that kind of low hanging fruit, as they say, are going to get the next level investment. So like, for example, or the next level return on investment, I should say, like I had a gentleman who on my podcast recently, um, who was a former client of mine, full disclosure. So some people might say, well, you know, of course you're going to bring on the best case studies. I'm like, well, I just brought him on because, you know, I brought him on because he was a recent client and, um, his was a pretty good case study. And there were some things that didn't, he was very public about that didn't work out well or took a long time to get resolved. Like uh, Amazon had flagged some of his products for being, you know, it wasn't pesticide. It was some other potentially hazardous thing that wouldn't let him, based on US law, wouldn't let him launch in Canada, although his products are selling in the US with no problem. So it was like one of those, like the algorithm was having trouble figuring out his product, but eventually it got resolved. But even around those launching him in Canada, UK and Australia, he was getting, I believe it was 40% increase on his sales. And he was a, you know, seven figure seller. So to get, you know, 40% increase in sales by just offering his products for sale in other marketplaces. And now that it is best products that weren't able for, to sell in Canada will be up and running. I mean, that will be an even higher number, most likely. So I, I want to um, ask about the, the strategy here, just because there's one thing that sticks out to me that I would like to uh, demystify. So, um, But I noticed lateral doesn't come up as much, as much, and I think lateral is important too. It's about expanding sideways, um, it, which is a form of growth, but it's not the same thing as a vertical. What I'm, I'm hearing here is that I can expand uh, laterally into Canada or into Australia, uh, and then from there then it creates new verticals, which overall increases the potential returns that I can get. What I would wonder if this is even possible is if I could be spreading myself too thin um, and I might actually uh, be lacking in my ability to expand, say, in the States. So how would I, again, this is product by product, so it's a little hard to ask this one, but how would I identify when I've reached my peak in, say, the States and then want to branch out from there? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's one a lot of folks really wrestle with is like, when is the right time? I remember one time being in a mastermind and the person facilitating it told, you, told me you shouldn't be selling internationally because you're not big enough yet. And I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? So I started selling internationally. I had one product and I had a handful more in the hopper that were being uh, made. So there was only one launched and more were coming. And I have not looked back and regretted since. And the clients I've worked with have pretty much all told me that they wish they'd done it sooner. So, or I shouldn't say all have told me those exact words, but like the feedback I've gotten, if I were to say on one side, I wish I had waited versus I wish I had done this sooner. If I had gotten one feedback either way or the other, it's pretty much all been, I wish I had started sooner because at the end of the day, all you're doing is taking the same products and offering them. So with Amazon, it's a matter of there's only so many impressions for certain keywords. There's only so much because Amazon is not a demand generation platform. So like on Shopify, for example, there's a lot of things you could do to create demand for your products. However, that is a completely different skill set for the manifesting of demand that you have to do on Amazon. So 
you're going to hit a ceiling pretty quickly for the products that you're selling now on Amazon to say, okay, I, I have achieved all the impressions I can do. Maybe I can find another keyword on Amazon that I can target that might get me when you really start breaking it down, if there are these long tail keywords, what are you going to get like another two, three sales a month out of this keyword? Like, you know, it, it's not going to be huge things that move the needle unless you're offering more products. Cause at the end of the day, in e-commerce, this doesn't matter if it's Shopify, Amazon, whatever, it's about having products to sell and people to sell to. And so yeah. Amazon gives you the products or sorry, they don't give you the products to sell. They give you the people to sell to. But at a certain point, even as massive as Amazon is, there's a limit to how many people are looking for um, dry erase markers just because they're in front of me um, at a certain time period. So if you're selling dry erase markers, you know there's more people looking for dry erase markers in Canada and the UK. And this is a gross oversimplification, but I do this on purpose because I know a lot of times people will overcomplicate it. Going into the UK or Canada to sell uh, dry erase markers when you're when you're when once you're launched, Seller Central, the backend platform of Amazon, uh, really the only difference is the money symbol might look different. The mechanics are the same. Yeah, and and that's uh, uh, there, there's a bunch of great points there, and the one that uh, sticks out to me the most, the most resident, is that demand can completely change depending on what country like uh here here in in canada i, I okay now i don't i just thinking about dry eraser uh markers in specific like depending on the weather patterns there might be more tasks to do on a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. like in the winter time we got we got your snow shovel we got salting so for us it was actually very practical to get a whiteboard put it on the on the fridge mm. and just write down like you know what what mess from nature did we have to clean up this day so i, I again you're just you just pointing out an example but i can i can see there's actually some truth to it so uh, okay, uh, so shifting gears right now, I'm going to update uh, the audience. Not that there's much to update because I'm rather slow going at this, but I have my Shopify store. Mm -hmm. My product is ready to sell. I'm right now. I'm just working with my uh, 3PL just to start getting product into their warehouse so that they can ship at a rate that's at least more comparable to Amazon and not 60 days. Mm -hmm. But I have zero presence on Amazon right now. And again, uh, the audience understands by now that as much as we can accomplish now, there's a uh, a lot more to accomplish by checking out a person's content. But as much as you can uh, give us the rundown now, what are some of the initial steps that I can take to be ready to sell on Amazon? And maybe some precautions too uh, that I can take just to make sure that like I'm not in over my head. Yeah, that's a great question. And so if let's just say someone's already selling on, they have a Shopify store. Um, I would say if you're going to sell on Amazon, even if it's just a small portion, send some of your products into Amazon to do FBA. And so I think in the Amazon world, people get really uh, excited about tactics and the latest hack and the latest whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, have a product that people want to purchase and solves whatever problem need they have more than the money in their wallet or bank account. And so as long as you can you know, achieve that, then you're going to be fine. Don't get too caught up in the latest. I don't want to call out too many, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Too many uh, tactics that have been out there the last few years. But if, you, if you're in Amazon, you kind of know some of these things where it's like, if the justification for um, 
doing a certain tactic or strategy is quote, they'll never know. That's probably a red flag that that might not be some direction you want to go because are there people that do well at it and never get their accounts shut down and people that do everything totally by the book and get their accounts shut down for whatever reason? Yeah. But you got to look at it from a risk standpoint, risk reward standpoint. And you know, it's one of those things, if you're going to launch on Amazon, learn PPC, that is, that's going to work all the time. And maybe the exact PPC things might evolve and change, but like, if you can get your, if you can accelerate getting your product in front of people, you're going to do better off. And so I am a, a big fan of just keep pushing forward, learning and getting better. And don't worry to people. Some people worry too much about launching and they do all these giveaways and refunds and all this rebating stuff. Like just focus on getting your product out there and don't worry about whether or not you're on page one or quote unquote, your keyword. There's going to be all these other keywords people are going to look up and find your product. And so if page one of a certain keyword is very competitive, but you're still making sales and you're profitable and you're happy, don't worry about it. Don't get caught up too much into some of the peripheral, more vanity type numbers, I would say. Yeah. And, and going back to what I was saying about not wanting to be in over my head is that I wouldn't mind a smaller scale operation to start just so that I can start getting into the muscle memory, understand how it works, uh, address issues. If I can if I can solve a problem once now, it might solve the problem 100 times when there's 10 times uh, that many customers. So I, I wouldn't mind that one bit. So, so for products, it's sent to uh, FBA, and we're we're dropshipper country here on Ecomonics. Okay. and I, I guess I I don't have a clear uh, idea of like how exact. I don't. know. To me, that might maybe I'm overthinking this. Maybe it's very as simple as like going to my AliExpress uh, supplier and saying, "Okay, I'm going to order a bunch of these. Can you send them to Amazon?" Or which has already incurred costs. So I, I'm just not clear on like exactly what's. Um, how, to, how to get the product to them and, and how to decide what product uh, fits that particular uh, flow of uh, business? Yeah, great question. So what you would do is you would look at this product you're selling like, okay, is this your own branded product? Or is this something where there's, there's a brand that's already selling it and you're basically uh, going to be offering it on an existing listing? And so the way Amazon truly was originally built was for if I'm selling um, Expo dry erase markers and I have packs of 10, I go on the pack of 10 listing and I offer mine. And what we're doing essentially is sharing the buy box. So the buy box in Amazon terminology is essentially the add to cart button. And so most people are just going to pick whatever is in the add to cart. They don't look in the other sellers selling it. They don't even look and see if there's other sellers selling it. They just look and say, oh, I need Expo markers, and then they purchase it. And so if you want to go the route of selling someone else's product, you want to figure out like, okay, what are the strategies to get the buy box? And a lot of that is like price competition. Uh, one of the challenges sometimes could be a race to the bottom. And so you don't want to too much jump in the race to the bottom. I'm not the expert on that. I know there's a lot of people out there that are very good at the buy box and the rotation of the buy box. So if you're competitive with the other people um, selling, you know, it's kind of Amazon just rotates the whoever clicks on that listing and who gets the buy box. 
then if you're going to have your own branded product, now you're going to need to worry about the listing copy, the images, the advantages, you pretty much are going to get the buy box. Um, as long as you don't have a, as people like to use the term hijacker, which is a whole other different issue. I wouldn't worry too much about that. But really what it comes down to is just figure out, is this a listing you have to create? What are the things you have to do to create the listing? Or if it's an, an existing listing, what do you have to do to get the buy box? Like those are kind of, from a very simple standpoint, going back to the have something to sell, that's what I would be looking at. Yeah, I, I, that's something that I would want to look into uh, more myself is just the strategies to uh, get into the buy box. Um, it's, I, I can't quite think of like a, an ideal analogy for it. I don't know. I'm just saying like a basketball team where everybody's competing to get the, the shot into the hoop. Mm -hmm. It's all about positioning. And uh, yeah, it, it's definitely a lot to unpack there, but um, that's something I'll, I'll look into myself. Now, one of the videos that I had checked out of mm -hmm. yours, um, you had show the, uh, the French press and okay. you were the the point of it was is that this was something that Amazon was selling like natively. Uh, this was like an Amazon branded product. Oh, okay. Yeah, and 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 I wanted to touch on that. And you know, if you don't recall like every uh, detail from that video, that's fine. Uh, but the point of it is to ask about the potential to compete with something where Amazon themselves have a branded product, and so they they would lean preferentially towards their own product. And neither you or I nor blame them for that. Um, but is it even worth uh, trying to uh, compete with them? And what would be some of the uh, reasons why a consumer might uh, ignore the Amazon branded one, especially if they're a prime shopper? So it seems to, to me, that seems like a losing battle. But I wonder if there are any uh, methods that to actually go head to head with Amazon themselves. Yeah, I think my opinion on this one's kind of evolved a little bit over time. So there's a couple things is going back to the, are you selling your own branded product or are you sharing a listing with other sellers? Now, a lot of people in the world of sharing the listing with, Am like if Amazon is a seller on a branded product, like it's not their brand, it's someone else's, that oftentimes people in the more wholesale world will stay stay away from those products because... Amazon has all the data. Now, whether you're always competing somewhere, whether you're competing for the buy box or you're competing for someone to click on um, your product for the, uh, like when they go to a search page and search French press coffee maker, for example, um, let's just say they, you're, you're now competing on the search page for someone to click on it. So when they click on the listing, you're the only person on the basketball court, for example, but, now it's they're trying to decide it's on the search page it's almost like whose team who do they want on their team type of thing so it's like they're deciding like okay which product looks like it meets my needs and it's a variety of factors sometimes it's the reviews sometimes it's the price sometimes it's the images sometimes it's what's in the title and different people are going to be uh influenced by different things and so Yes, Amazon might have an Amazon Basics coffee maker, or sometimes Amazon has other brands you don't even realize are Amazon. Um, but I would say it's one of those things that people have gotten to be very worried about having their own product that Amazon, like, especially if it's a very specialized product, that Amazon's going to take that data and rip it off, so to speak, and sell almost the exact product. Well, here's the thing whether it's Amazon or other sellers, everything in Amazon world is hiding in plain sight. 
You know what I mean? Like it's as long as someone knows to look for that keyword or that type of product, they can find almost all data they would need to sell it. You know, they would be able to find uh, there's tools to figure out what it's ranking for, like what keywords that product is ranking for, what the approximate sales are based on the bestseller ranking. So there, there's all this data. So yes, and Amazon probably has even more data than what we can find. Um, well, I'm sure they have a lot more data than what they'll share with us. Um, but most of what we need is publicly out there. So it is one of those concerns that I've heard people have over time of like when they have their own product, the Amazon's going to rip it off. But I will say this, Amazon has been even beat up in the press. There might've even been a Washington Post article about this. Don't quote me on this, but like yeah. if it was in the Washington that, Post. That, that, that seems to be like a stretch, but we'll, you know, maybe. Right, because for those who don't know, Jeff yeah. Bezos, the founder of Amazon, is also the owner of the Washington Post. And so, some some mainstream journalism article had something about how Amazon is kind of ripping off third-party sellers' products. And I've seen that derivations of that article over time. And I want to say it might even have gotten kind of on Congress's radar in the U.S. So there's been talks, whether it's going to go anywhere or not, about breaking up some of the tech companies. And so I think they're starting to be a little bit more cognizant of that, of you know, more than half of the sales on Amazon are third-party sellers. And so it's, it's almost like Amazon... I don't want to use the word they're selling on our turf because it's still Amazon's turf, but their home field advantage is dwindling over time when it comes to the amount of sales. I'll just say that. Mm -hmm. You know, this reminds me of, uh, and I don't want to take too long on this, sure. but it, it reminded me of this um, documentary. Maybe possibly you've heard of it or seen it. It was called the beer wars. No, I don't know if I've seen that. Quite, quite, it's quite a few years old and they just cover a, a few different um, uh, breweries and, um, and the difficulty of going up against um, the, the big corporate breweries. And one of them, uh, she had, uh, she was from the corporate world and she had made this beer that also was caffeinated and it was uh, to her description. It was this euphoric feeling of being like kind of up, but also kind of downed at the same time. And it was just like a really interesting uh, brew. And what ended up happening was the larger uh, breweries had, I don't know, parallel thought maybe. Right. Maybe they saw her idea and they took it and they started selling it and it was easier for them to sell it uh, rather than her. And and it just put a huge strain on her, on, on, our on, on her family. And, and, and I feel for her. And by the way, it's helpful to hear stories like that because it does make us remind us, that, you know, we want our root for the underdog. We want to support, I would rather support her than support the others. Um, two other things to, to raise about this. One of them is that, and, and another story too, I'll tie all this together, I promise. <laughs> but sure like, I remember when I was like getting into, um, getting back into like a comedy again, it was, it was Dane Cook that got me back into it because okay. he was, he was, he knew how to use the internet to his advantage. Yeah. And what you have is you have these people who have like mass appeal. I call it like the McDonald's effect. And, and I think mass appeal is important because it, it does that demand creation and it gives people a chance to develop their taste in the first place, which can then flow that market into more niche um, uh, services, like more niche comedians, more niche burger places, more niche brewers. So everything has its place in my opinion. And I, I myself, I, I, it, it, I would hate for and like an original idea of mine to uh, be subverted by a larger company, but I could still use it to my advantage. 
I could, with, with my advertising, with my storytelling, I could make my product seem like the superior version of that because there's more passion put it on a personal level. Yes, completely. And there's... Um... Although, so I will say just very briefly, Dane Cook is a very passionate man. I didn't want to take that away from him. Okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, I'll say that about him. But one thing I will say is when we can say going up against the the big corporations, they can't compete at the same level, having worked at large corporations, just to get small decisions made can sometimes take years because everything is a wait and see. It's There's really no incentive to take risk at a large corporation. It's all about, uh, in a way, kind of preventing worst case scenarios and both at the corporate level because, you know, they have all these employees and so all these like kind of... Uh, black swan weird situations can happen. Um, you know, if it's a one in a million and they have, you know, all these transactions happening every day, then the, uh, a good percentage of them could be really weird uh, outlier events that could be, you know, devastating to the company. Whereas you don't really have as much of a concern about that when you're small and you can just make the decisions and you're not as worried about what your boss's boss's boss will think this person that you probably don't even know who they are. Um, but you know, you're not as worried about the chain of command and how this is going to be like, there's not as much worry about perception internally. It's more worry about perception by customers. And so there's more you can do to, to pivot and do things. And so you can be, Nimble and agile. So some of the things that are um, harder for the small business owner are also their strengths. And so because you're not as big, you can do a lot more things more quickly. And that can be a strategic advantage. And, um, you know, when you really look at it, a lot of the big companies, like I was actually just thinking about this the other day that I want to say like 25 years ago, the largest company in the world was Mitsubishi. How often do you hear people talk hmm. about Mitsubishi? Like, I think they still make cars, but like they're, and they don't just make cars, like they make other stuff, but I don't know that they're as big of a company as they once were. And, you know, every Goliath will meet its David. And so with Amazon, when you look at them, like there's graphs that you can look up online, will show like the percentage of sales of third-party sales versus Amazon sales and third-party sales on Amazon have, you know, beat first-party sales. In fact, Amazon's success, it, Jeff Bezos has said in interviews that the marketplace, meaning third-party sellers, um, was one of the three best decisions he'd made um, along the way. And so I think deep down inside, they recognize that, you know, the smaller companies and kind of aligning themselves with the smaller sellers, smaller companies is what made them big. And look at Shopify. That's exactly what they're doing just in a different angle. Mm -hmm. Wow, Mitsubishi, I wouldn't have expected them. I mean, I, I would expect them to be big, but I wouldn't expect them to be like the number one company. Yeah, you can look it up. I want to say that they hit the number one in the Fortune 500 a while back. This is like in the 90s. Feel, feel free to fact check me and if I'm wrong, I stand correct. I, I, I trust you on that one. It, it sounds like it's something that sticks out so much that it, uh, so let's uh, not uh, uh, dwell too long on that. What I wanted to ask about, this was another uh, piece of content from your YouTube. It was about uh, product invention. And and I just wanted to like run this past you because there was something that stuck out to me and maybe I misunderstood uh, and misinterpreted it. So 
Uh, product invention is, I mean, A, somebody can like build a product from scratch, which my previous guest, uh, Freya James, she built a product from scratch and now her product is available in Walmart. Totally doable, uh, difficult, but doable. For her, her story was this is something that she needed in specific for herself and for her, uh, for her infant. So it, she had solved the problem for herself and she had shared that with others and other people had started asking for their product. And so the demand just like unfolded naturally. So really the business world called to her, I think. Um, but there was another version of invention. And this is the one that I wanted to clarify, which is where somebody can say, find a product in a foreign market that is the inventive part is trying to figure out how it might work in a domestic market. Uh, say like, like if somebody finds something in Japan and it, it's it's a success there, but it's not a success here. And the challenge is to try to figure out how to make it work here. Um, did I, am I clear on that? Or yeah. was there like an element to that that I missed? No, I totally get it. And, you know, it comes to, there's very simplistically, and I don't know who coined this, Russell Brunson or somebody out there coined this term of like search traffic and scroll traffic. Whereas, you know, people looking for something specific versus people who are just you know, scrolling around the internet and something catches their eye. And oftentimes inventions can do that because, oh, that's new. That's fresh. I never thought of that. That's a good idea. Now, whether or not that turns into commercial success, who knows, uh, depending on the product. But if you have a product, Amazon is very much a search-based platform, just like Google is a search-based platform. YouTube is a search-based platform. Places like uh, Facebook and Pinterest and Instagram or more scroll based, like you're just looking through things to see what catches your eye, what your friends are doing, um, all those type of things. And, you know, whether there's ads or, you know, companies you follow, uh, you know, share something with you. And if it seems new and exciting, sometimes that's more shareable. Whereas when you need the expo markers, you just go and you search dry erase marker. I would like to make the case for YouTube in specific is that I think YouTube is more hybrid uh, because yeah, of their algorithm. Often I can end up scrolling and based on my previous activity, they will recommend things. I, I think a lot of the the search functionality would actually be more in the Google search engine because they bought YouTube. So if I'm looking for, for answers to something, and by the way, which is what I did with you. Right. Um, when I searched, I searched Kevin Sanderson and I uh, and I go to the video section just to see if you had, uh, you know, uh, what, what were some of the first videos that had come up just to try to like, I uh, get some content. I'm so curious what uh, but, but, uh, 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 other uh, I, it was, a I can't remember the name of it, but it was like a manufacturing podcast. Okay. Uh, where they're, they're opening like they use like a, a power saw or something like that. Okay. My, gotcha. my, my retention isn't perfect, but yeah, that, that was the, that was the first result. Okay, cool. Uh, although we, we do know that the results do change based on proximity. <laughs> totally so do. yeah. Change yeah. whether I'm so I gotta, I gotta fire up my VPM, yeah. uh, log into Singapore and see how things right. change. <laughs> yeah. So, um, there's definitely a lot there to uh, uh, to to absorb and to and to take away from, and and I'm very grateful for that. There's a couple of other like, well, actually, here's one that I'm just like uh, deathly curious about, sure. which was like your experience working at Disney. Okay, uh, you'd been there for eight years, and just a brief story about myself is that the longest job that I had ever had was uh, my freelancing as an editor. Uh, it only lasted that long because I was my own boss, and even that's pushing it, but. You know, fingers crossed, uh, so far so good with this position. Sometimes it's my fault. Sometimes it was the company, didn't like me. Sometimes it's half and half. But I have yet to be able to really hold down a position for like more than two years, uh, other than the one I invented from scratch due to that fact. So, so some of that is, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I am interested in 
how it, uh, the span of like eight years, how that formed like a chapter of your life to mm-hmm. be such a significant chunk of it. And uh, otherwise, I, I just love to hear like some of the some of the main takeaways and you know what's come what came with you. Did any did any skills come with you outside of uh, outside of working with the company? Yeah, great question. So Disney was one of those things. I interned there twice when I was in college. Um, and there was kind of a lot of serendipitous moments where I was able to get a job as a manager at one of the theme parks, um, straight out of college, which they didn't normally hire people straight out of college, but it was a little bit of sometimes literally being in the right place and knowing the right people. Um, one of the internships I did was at the, they call it the casting center cause everyone's a cast member. And so it's where they do the recruiting. Um, so I got to know some of the recruiters that'd be responsible for hiring the jobs that I was looking to get into. So there was, uh, some, some of that. And so one of the nice things is about Disney is they would move me around about every two, two and a half years. And so in the eight years I was there after college, I had theoretically, I think my title might've been the same mostly, but the job I held and where I held it and you know who I was working with was changed you know it was it was four different places and so that keeps a little bit fresh um they as a company were very they did a good job of keeping people safe like there's a lot of quote-unquote lifers that work there um who you know they have no desire to work anywhere else um i was just starting to see like okay going back to things change over time just because something was a certain way in the past doesn't mean it was going to be that way forward I was coming in from like a very operational background and, you know, managing restaurants. And that was what my degree was in, was in, you know, hospitality management. And I thought that was the direction I wanted to go. I was starting to see more and more restructurings of kind of flattening the hierarchy. And so that meant uh, there'd be less for me to go because they were starting to move to more and more decisions weren't made by operational people, but by engineers. I mean, I get it. Like as as a company, you're always looking at what's the next level of efficiency. And so for Disney, the theme parks were all there. Like they haven't built another theme park in Florida since 1998. And so it's two ways to grow the business, top line and bottom line. And so, you know, they're always looking for ways to get more sales, but they're also and every company is looking to get more ways to get more out of the sales they they have. And so some of that is, you know, operation and with technology operations are constantly changing. So maybe you don't need as many frontline cast members to operate a certain area because maybe technology does certain things. So you need fewer people to manage it and you need fewer people to manage the managers or whatever the case is. So I was seeing there was going to be less opportunity and I needed to potentially leave And, you know, it's one of those things that I've made a few, you know, decisions over time and I ended up being very glad about it because, um, sadly, Disney has had to lay off a lot of people because of, uh, COVID, um, they're bringing people back. But even as we recorded this a year after they had to close down, I mean, there's, I know personally, because, you know, I know a lot of people that are still with the company, there's people that have been on furlough for over a year. Like they're not in the number of people that have been laid off. They're just kind of in limbo. Like they're not getting salary. They're not getting pay. They're not getting benefits. They're just, they're acquiring more time with the company, I guess is a benefit. But so really what it goes back to is sometimes 
what seems safe in the moment isn't necessarily safe long-term. So that's the thing with entrepreneurship is that entrepreneurship from minute to minute can feel a lot more risky than having a job, but having a job, it can all be taken away from you at once. And I had that happen to me one time, you know, after six years with my next employer, because we got bought out by another company and my level didn't exist in the new organization. And one of the things that I had noticed um, earlier on in our conversation is you were pointing out the, the advantages of being, uh, being a, a, you know, a whippersnapper versus being right. a, a Goliath and that the decision-making process um, is protracted and slow and careful. And what I think is going on here is that entrepreneurship, um, it calls to people who really are capable of making decisions to a certain capacity. And it wants to provide an environment for people to, to, to reach their, their limit and then to be able to push forward. And so working with a company can, uh, especially one as large as, as Disney, can severely limit a person's ability to make decisions. So I was wondering if your point earlier um, had to do with uh, your, your experience, eight, eight years, one company, six years in, an, in another company. Uh, did you feel like you could have made more uh, decisions within a company? Did you feel like you had more agency, but it wasn't given to you? Yeah, that's a good question. And you know what? And there's probably a lot of things I could have done that I fully disclose. I could have done a lot better in how I managed situations. I was still kind of young and immature and in my uh, process and sometimes afraid because, you know, the reality is not making a decision oftentimes is a decision. There's oftentimes probably a lot of decisions I could have made that I did not make because of fear of how it would be perceived. And that, But that is the general cloud hanging over everybody in a company. Even if you're the CEO, how is that going to be perceived by the, the board or the shareholders? You know, if you're on the board, you know, what are the shareholders who could vote me out? Like, what are they going to think? If you're one of the shareholders, you're worried about like, you know, the market and like all these other things and should you sell your stock? And so like, there's, there's always somebody. And so in, in really in every situation, there's always some worry about something. And so I think, you know, going back to, they, they do kind of give you some level of decision-making ability and sometimes it's hard to know what that is. And so, you know, it's oftentimes this, this box and there's people that are very good at learning what is their little box. How do they? I, I actually had a uh, a boss of mine in one of my corporate jobs. I won't even say which one, but uh, basically, he used to talk about the white picket fence. That outside of now, I was within his white picket fence, but he would always talk about that when it came to the people outside of the white picket fence. All they needed to see was the the shiny white picket fence and anything that was a challenge would be dealt with within the white picket fence. And so sometimes it's hard knowing managing your white picket fence that you're trying to show within that white picket fence to the people above you. And so that, that can be the hard part is that it stifles a lot of creativity within companies, but at the same time too, you know, people, if you don't have those, rules in a big company, it can be hard to manage people and people start doing things and saying things and like that could get you as a company in trouble. And so it's this balance. And I don't know what the answer is other than I like kind of just being in charge of my own destiny. Yeah. And and that just goes back to um, my, my, my original thesis for this, which is that, you know, different, different minds excel in different environments. And I, I, I even, 
uh, I, for one, actually take a lot of comfort in uh, there being large companies mm-hmm. because I like because there's a lot of people who you, you you throw them into the deep end and and make them run their own business. They're just not going to do right. it. It's just it's not within their 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 capacity. Uh, whereas one pattern that I've seen, and this is a pattern that I uh, relate to personally, is that the system will push people out. Um, it, it, it's not ever, I have, I'm in my history, I have tried to fit into it and it, and it just, and it just rejects me. Like I'm like, I'm in an organ and I think I donated organ that just doesn't fit with the blood type. So, you know, there, there's different environments for different people. And I, and that's something that I just personally take comfort in. So with that, uh, I, I did have one other, uh, que- well, actually multiple questions, but, um, one of them that I wanted to, uh, to get you to uh, run past us real quick. We have, talk, we talk about Amazon, we talk about Shopify, we talk about you know, Facebook, we, we talk about quite a few platforms, but there's actually a few that don't come up that much. Uh, I, for instance, jet. And that's, I, we've never talked about that on the show. Um, so would you do the honors and, uh, uh give us a quick uh, synopsis of how, your like what jet is and well i mean i know you're not an ambassador for it so usually when i ask this question it's more of like your experience with it and what recommendations you would make for it as a market yeah so jet got bought out by walmart and i don't even think it's operating now like i'd be curious if uh, you went to jet.com where it even goes yeah i'm gonna do that right now i should have i should have done that well no i mean i have a video yeah, no you just it just goes right to walmart okay. yeah so <laughs> never mind but that, that, that <laughs> brings up that. a good point and so sometimes it has to do with you know your time to figure something else out. And so I spent back when I still had a full-time job and I was more starting in the e-commerce space, I spent the equivalent of about a couple months of the free time I did have to focus on the business figuring out jet. You know, I needed at the time I needed like a, a company or a software platform to be able to pull the orders. I had all these, you know, other things I worked on and it was just it was too much figuring out, figuring out like, how do I, you know, ship the orders, all this other stuff that I didn't have infrastructure on. And, you know, sometimes it's worth trying these things, but I probably made a few hundred dollars in sales total. And, you know, over time it got to be less and less and less. So, you know, it's one of those, we got to decide with our time is this at the time people were talking about chat now, well, clearly not very many people are, but, um, or less people are. Now I understand why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now it makes sense. Yeah. Now, now it definitely makes sense. But at the time, you know, like that was something people were, were thinking about and, you know, but Jet ended up getting acquired and just kind of absorbed into Walmart. Um, but, you know, whether you're trying to figure out Walmart, Etsy or whatever is kind of your next move, you got to evaluate that with what are the other things you could do with, especially with your current skill set and figure out what is going to move the needle the most potentially because you know nothing is ever truly guaranteed in business other than if you don't take an action you will get no result right and 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 even though you put a lot of uh, thought into it and uh, and netted a couple hundred dollars it was still a good experience and and i'd say i think so. to give you a chance to yeah to to go through a lot of your own uh, your own mindset methodology understand how to uh, how to approach this so uh, you know a, a lot of our ability to have a positive takeaway really falls in our own mindset mm-hmm. And just how we how we perceive it. Uh, okay, so I got two more for you. Sure. Um, one of those is just a traditional rabbit question. This one I'm just going to ask for the fun of it because uh, I'm 
uh, always curious to hear about how people manage their energy. Okay. Like so, you, so you're doing this full time. Uh, you've got you've got a family, which is a responsibility as well. Uh, and I and I'm just curious about like your your energy uh, on a week to week basis, and uh, if you've if you can share any tips or pointers on how to like uh, Im- improve energy and you know whatever you do to to, to... oh I forgot to mention you're also doing consulting work for others so you're helping other people with their business too so you got um, a, a fair deal on your plate so uh, how do you, how do you manage that Yeah, I think a lot of it is just going back and revisiting you know what are my goals and why am I doing them and that could be a very long discussion just right there. But I think really what it comes down to is, you know, you, you always got to be recalculating what it is you're doing and figuring things out. Because from an energy standpoint, yes, it's important. You know, you get enough sleep, you eat the right foods, you exercise, you know, you keep yourself energized in what you're doing and why you're doing it, I think would be kind of the simplistic way to talk about it. And probably too much coffee. Yeah, that's reasonable. I. I, uh, for days I'm recording, I try to avoid caffeine because it dries my throat out. And I think, well, you know what? I got the, the adrenaline running. So I think uh, I, I think that's good. But uh, other than that, yeah, uh, I've, uh, I don't know how far I'd have gone without caffeine. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right. So f- uh, final question. It, 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 it's usually like if you have any parting wisdom, any advice you'd like to generally give, maybe an answer to a question I didn't ask, something along those lines, feel free. And then let the audience know how they can get in touch and find your content. Sure. I would say more than anything, if you're just focusing on moving the ball forward, you know, don't get too caught up and we can all do that of looking at other people in comparison of this person's been doing this less time than me, but they're way ahead. You don't know their full story. Oftentimes there's more to the backstory than we always, than we often know. Um, whether they had previous skill sets, other investments, whatever, you know. So never look at someone else's story and try to compare it to yours, whether you're in a different chapter or it's just a different book, you know. It's 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 less of trying to compare yourself to being the Heisman Trophy winner in football to more you're the you're, you're, you're the one who's running the 5k race and you're just running your own race. And really you're only competing against the last race you made. And so just keep putting one step in front of the other and just focus on improving yourself. And that's all you can really do. Yeah. I, I think that checks out. And, you know, as you were saying that it reminded me of, uh, even, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, one thing that doesn't get brought up as much is his prior experience to Walmart, you know, uh, Walmart, his prior experience to Amazon he was uh, a Wall Street uh, investor, so he has he's he his story starts a lot sooner than Amazon does, and that's one thing to keep in mind too. So, uh, with that, just uh, how uh, can we find your web presence and um, uh, find you on the, on the YouTube's? Yeah, so you can find me on YouTube or the podcast, which are both called Maximizing E-commerce, um, and I share all kinds of uh, tips and resources for to help people, whether it's, you know, growing international businesses on Amazon or just a business that they can be proud of in general. And I bring on all kinds of different guests. Um, many are in the e-commerce Amazon world. Sometimes they're folks outside of that. I just recently had on Justin Guarini, who is uh, the, um, he came in, he was a runner up to Kelly Clarkson in the first American Idol. But oh, that just yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah I've had on my congressman, I've had on uh, actually the former executive vice president of operations at Walt Disney World. I guess he was kind of my boss at the time, but way, way high up. But I try to bring on 
different people with different perspectives, both in e-commerce, outside of e-commerce, that I think can help people as they grow. And, you know, whether it's in, you know, being more confident, like someone who's on American Idol or, you know, whatever the case is. That's, that's terrific. I'm, yeah, I, I can, I can see me checking that one out too. I, not gonna lie, I was into American Idol for the first season because it was, it was fresh and new. And so that I was, I was definitely invested in, in their story. Okay. So with that, uh, once again, Kevin Sanderson, it's been a blast. I really appreciate your time and, uh, and everything you were willing to share with us today. So to our audience, as always, thank you for your participation. It means a lot to know that you are uh, choosing to spend some of your time here. Um, and if you're listening to it in audio, you're spending half your time here, the other half vacuuming or something. Whatever the case is, I really appreciate you being here. Um, moment of silence for, for Jet. All right, and with that, take care, everybody. We'll check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next. <laughs>